podcast has bad words. <laughs> this is the Minimalist Private Podcast. Hello, everyone. We're here with Kim Iverson from the Kim Iverson Show on YouTube. And uh, before we dive into our surprise questions today, and uh, before we talk about the downsides of tribalism, and uh, I'd, like, I'd like to read some more about Les. Sean, can you hand me my computer? I've got this article that was too gargantuan and weird mm. to print out. So um, I've got this article. I think it's from Psychology Today. Yeah, it was a good one. And it really talks about whether or not we are more divided than ever. The title of it is, Why Has America become so divided for reasons the united states doesn't seem so united anymore i'm not going to read this whole thing we will put a link to it in the show notes but i'm going to go through a few of these reasons and the first reason and i think kim maybe we could talk about this but they say it's a matter of perspective first we need to examine whether the country actually is divided or merely seems that way Uh, several articles have been written over the past few years reminding us that Despite the name, the United States uh, has been divided for much of of its existence. And it goes on to mention, of course, the Civil War. We were quite divided Mm. in the 1860s. (laughs) I I would argue more divided then than now. (laughs) Yeah. Although maybe not as as divided ideologically around a bunch of different issues. And maybe that is the difference, I think, Kim, is now there's there's so much so much nuance where uh, during the minimal, we were talking about how you identify as a, a progressive, but you may not agree with every little point. And so all of a sudden, it, the box keeps shrinking, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so, so of course, it's going to become divided if, if everyone, it, the box becomes so small, not, not very many people can even fit into it. Yeah, I mean, definitely right now we are living in a very divided country, but you're right. It's not as bad as we're, we're not murdering each other mm-hmm. just yet, like a civil war. <laughs> just yet. <laughs> I don't, I mean, I'm hoping we don't get to that point, but Give it's it like three you, weeks. Right? Oh my yeah, goodness. You just never know. Yeah. You know, if it's, I, I, it would be hard to imagine us reeling to that, to that level. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but certainly we are killing our friendships and our families yeah. in, in those ways. You know, we're, we're breaking off, dividing. We're not speaking to one another. Um, I can't even count how many Facebook friends I've lost, right? Oh, like that, they cut you yeah. off and they say, well, this is the, this is the end of the road for us. You know, because they just, wow. yeah, because people can't look past um, if you have a different viewpoint, mm. they just can't look past it. And because right now it's not just about policy. It's really about, it, it just is so much ingrained in the morality and uh, and then people just cannot look past it. They just feel like this isn't a matter of big government versus small government, or do you want Medicare for all, or do you want private health care? You know, they're saying no. You're you're a racist. Yeah. You know, that's where it comes down to. And I can't be friends with a racist. Uh-huh. Oh my goodness. And, and oh, by the way, that doesn't that automatically shut any conversation down. Like if Ryan and I were having a d- debate, and I'm just like. You're a racist. Yeah. Like, where do we even go from there? Yeah. That's what, that's how the Nazis think. Like that's the other yeah. go-to. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You're a fascist. Yeah. And in fact, uh, the second the second argument here is, or the second point, uh, why we're divided is uh, ideologues without issues, and that's really what you're talking about here. Is is many people have this sort of ideology or this ostensible ideology, but aren't really talking about the policies and and. and uh, yes, you might agree agree or disagree with someone on a particular policy. I don't think that's a reason to necessarily um, not be friends or to cut ties with someone. It seems very strange to me that just because you you ha- you identify differently with respect to a particular set of ideas, 
can't we get more involved in the nuance? Because I find this with me and Ryan. Mm. Ryan and I disagree on a lot of things politically, especially with partisan politics. But any any politics, the affairs of the city, right? We, we disagree on things. But then we start to get into the issues, and it's like, huh, we're actually way closer on the mm. issue than I thought. <laughs> it's like we're only 20% off. We don't actually disagree. It's a spectrum, and we're just a little bit off. But we don't even bother to, to dive into the nuance at all. Yeah, because where's the policy in racism, sexism, bigotry? You know, when you just say to somebody, you're a bigot, you're a sexist, you're a racist. It's like, well, how do I fix that then? You know, what do you want me to do to not be this thing that you think that I am? There's Mm. no real policy discussion on that. It's am I supposed to just throw my hands up and say, okay, I'm not going to be a racist anymore now that you've called me this. (laughs) Right. I don't know where we go from there. Well, I think I think comments like that, they come from a very emotional state. So I think when you go against someone's values or beliefs just a little bit, they get really angry and then they jump to the biggest insult that they can find. And it's easy for people to just find this this extreme thing that they can throw at you and then throw their hands in the air. But I mean, doesn't that say a lot more about that person than it does you who they're throwing that insult at? They wouldn't think that. They think it says more about <laughs> yeah, you. Yeah. <laughs> That's why they're calling you that name. Yeah. yeah. The uh, third thing here is the enemy of the people. On its own, the conclusion that we're ideologues without issues doesn't explain why political polarization has increased over the past several decades. Uh, But this doctor's study supplies a clue with the additional findings that increasing increasingly affect polarization. Uh, Oh, this is poorly written. Was correlated with increasingly negative political campaigning over time. I think that's absolutely true. So so what we have here is, yes, we we do see, in fact, I often see candidates say, I'm not not going to resort to negative campaigning. Um, But then, of course, they do it because it works. Yeah. Mm. And that's the problem with negative campaigning is it it does work. And and, and it's the reason we've become so divided. We've figured out like the best way to market to someone is how? Through fear. That's what advertisers do really well is you're inadequate without X. And the same is true with uh, by supporting this person, you're also supporting child rape and incest. And it's like, well, wait a minute. Racism Mm -hmm. and whatever else it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I didn't know Pete Buttigieg liked incest. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you know what? To your to that point right there, uh-huh. it's misinformation. Like it's it's totally misleading information that. Well, what was what's the set like? Five thousand advertisements a day is yeah. what we see. Yeah, that that was what five years ago. Yeah, maybe even ten years ago. Mm-hmm. So with social media just getting bigger and bigger and bigger, I think that's even more. Uh, yeah, every time every time I go uh, to a like. A new site now. I feel like I am being jumped by a gang of advertisements. <laughs> yeah, I wish. Yeah. Right? Yeah, <laughs> so bad. But like you know, pew pew pew. Like it's a video right. game. Yeah. All of our choices are emotional. So when you mm. look at even car buying or home buying, so if you like car buying, for example, a car dealer understands that you're walking in there and you might say you want these different features in your car. Mm. Ultimately, you're going to walk away with a car that you emotionally have connected to. Mm. So even if they show you, well, this car is a better deal, this car has more features, you've already got your heart set 
on this other car because of the color or you like uh, the way it makes you look. You know, you think it's going to make you look cool. Yeah. I mean, they've even done that with advertisements with cars, you know, or like the hot girl that's dry, sitting in the in the passenger seat. And so yeah. that's who you're going to end up with if you end up buying this car. Mm-hmm. So most of our choices, even when they're supposed to be logical, well thought out choices, are actually emotional in the end. Yes. And politicians have figured this out as well. Uh-huh. Yeah. They know that it's not really about the logic of choosing them. It's about the emotion of choosing them. Yeah. So if they can play on your personal emotions, knowing that that will outweigh your logic, you will emotionally, uh, you, you're just going to decide, I can't, uh, okay, maybe I want XYZ policies, but I can't let racism or, you know, murder win. Mm-hmm. So I have to select this other thing because it's morally imperative. It's, it's more important. I'm emotionally upset thinking about this thing happening. Yeah. So yeah. I, it must, you know, on, um, on and that's U- how they do it. On your YouTube channel recently, you talked about the the Me Too movement sort of being flushed down the drain um, because yeah. of this whole the whole Joe Biden thing. And um, one of my favorite comedians, uh, Drew Michael, he had this great tweet. Uh, did I send it to you, Ryan? I don't think so. And I would only do this for Patreon, by the way, so for, for our private podcast. So let me let me pull up his tweet because it encapsulates. Now, now, obviously, it's a joke. Um, uh, we well, like jokes. <laughs> we like to laugh. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll pull it up. But basically, he was talking about how you know, we, we've we come down to this thing where we have a choice. We can vote. And it, now, it seems like a binary choice. You've mentioned earlier that there are third parties. You could write people in as well, right? Um, but the thing that he was talking about was... Hey, let me see if I can find it. Well, it's I'll, I'll just say this while, uh, while he's looking that up. You talked about how we're, we're very emotionally driven. And I think there's this double-edged sword with going with your gut because I used to be a person who just went with my gut. Well, it led me astray a lot. Uh, you know, I'd say 80% of the time, 75, whatever it is, more than 50% of the time, my gut did tell me what was right. But there was a percentage of the time that really made a big difference on my life when my gut did lead me astray. So when I hear you talk about uh, political ads playing to the emotion or, or advertisements in general, mm-hmm. whatever we feel a very strong emotion, we should really we should really question that emotion and look into it deeper. So uh, an example would be even headlines. Headlines are meant to be emotionally driven. I was talking with a buddy uh, who him and I are on completely opposite sides of the political spectrum. And he was sitting there reading me headlines from his news sites, trying to start a conversation. I'm like, have you read any of these articles that you're, and he's like, no, I don't have the time to read those. Or I don't have the time to read. <laughs> What's the stat? 77% of people engage with an article. So they even make comments just by reading the headline without reading the article. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So it's like anytime we are emotionally driven from a meme or from a headline, I feel it is our personal duty to confirm that emotion, especially when it comes to important decisions, because you're absolutely right, Kim, like people are playing off our emotions and they know that you're not going to pay attention to the details. Yeah. Did you find the tweet yet? I, I, I can on, keep talking. I'm almost there. <laughs> No, I don't have it. Well, how how do you engage with people, Kim? Uh, because you you seem like you have a very strong stance, but you don't seem to be overly emotional or hyperbolic. So, like, how do how you do clearly you clearly don't follow me on Twitter? <laughs> <laughs> well, how do how do you how do you engage? Uh, I, I, I'll start following you on Twitter. How, <laughs> no, I'm, a, I'm a mess on Twitter. How do you well? How do you engage with people? Um, when they come at you and they call you a racist, like, do you just do you just be like, okay, I'm a racist, then we're not friends anymore, or like, do you try to have a conversation with that person at all? 
Well, that person's difficult to have a conversation with, right? I totally because agree. they're yeah. they're coming from an emotional place and they're almost they're blinded by their emotions. That's why they're calling you that name. Mm. So it is very, very challenging. I'm not that great at it. Honestly, I have to kind of shut down and kind of walk away and mm. and try to remain calm. But um uh and I've and I've been the the perpetrator of it at times. Um, you know, I've definitely had to grow and evolve and become better and to try to step back and not be so emotional about politics, you know, especially after the last election, mm. I had a really rough time with my own mom um, and w- I actually ruined Thanksgiving that oh. year. Yeah, I was one of those people. I'm sure there are a lot of Thanksgivings ruined. <laughs> yep, and I was one of them. Yeah. I was ruining Thanksgiving dinner because mm. I was so upset by her political beliefs and her mm. and I were so on opposite sides of the spectrum. Um, and I, but however, through time and through learning, I have grown and I've evolved and I no longer am upset at people who vote a certain way. I mean, even mm. I had to go through this evolution and I think yeah. everybody has to go through it. And I think what helps me when somebody's behaving that way is I say, I was there too once. Mm. And so it's yeah. just a matter of time before maybe just talking to them a little bit more and educating them. And even if they're going to fight back and disagree with you right then and there, mm. they're, they're going to take what you said with them they can't unhear it right Mm -hmm. so maybe something else will happen or another conversation will happen in their life and it'll spark them to think hmm okay i've heard that a little bit you know i've heard that before Mm -hmm. and so then they start to maybe evolve in their own way of thinking and for me it was a solid two years i would say that i needed to evolve um from being like just a serious anti you know trump hater complete anybody who liked them i was very upset and furious over and it took Mm -hmm. me maybe two years to kind of get out of that mentality to try to see the other person's point of view and Mm. now i don't have that feeling at all you know in fact i'm almost the opposite where i I completely understand yeah yeah i think that i think that builds awesome character like to be able to say yes i was that person who reacted emotionally i ruined thanksgiving dinner but i've been (laughs) able to move past that and i wish we would accept people like that more in our lives especially in in america where we look at the president like Oh well, that president, you know, said this twenty years ago. Now there are some there are some crimes that, like, you know, you don't want to let slip by murder and you know other things you can throw in there. But for all intents and purposes, like we bring up these really petty things that happened twenty years ago. A good example is this cancel culture with like someone who uh, said something racist, you know, twenty years ago, mm-hmm. and it's like, well, wait a minute. Like they're not racist today. Like yes, maybe they maybe they they were uneducated or misinformed or whatever. But they have really worked hard to become something different today. And isn't that isn't that what should be celebrated rather than like, well, you know, you did this twenty years ago, so therefore uh, you can't be a public figure. Where I don't want I want someone who can admit their mistakes and move forward and evolve rather than this perfect candidate who has never done anything wrong in their life. I mean, I, I'm I'm happy with either. Um, if you know, I, I we're talking we were talking about Pete Buttigieg earlier, and he strangely seems like, um, I mean, some sort of automaton. Like uh, he he was built in a factory to become <laughs> a politician. Sure. Um, and by the way, but he's I, an exception. He's not the rule. I though. totally agree with yeah. you. And and I also agree with you that we need to be able to say, okay, uh, has someone changed? You're reminding me, Ryan, of uh, there. This was years ago. I remember. Uh, do you remember? Uh, Rand Paul's dad, Ron Paul, yeah. uh, was running for president, and they they were like going around saying, "You describe, use one word or one sentence or whatever to describe you or your candidacy or whatever." And he said, 
consistency. And I'm like, oh, so you don't ever change your mind about anything? Like, mm. like you think that's a good thing that you're always consistent? Yeah. You, you, your 80-year-old self is the same as your 30-year-old self, so you haven't grown that much in 50 years? Like that That's actually a problem. I'm wildly inconsistent compared to where I was a decade ago mm. or 20 years ago, and I think that's a good thing because it's it's changing in the right direction. And so I think what you're talking about ultimately, Kim, is... is Compassion. The, the, that's the word that comes to mind when when you're you're thinking of these people. Say, I was I was also in their shoes, but you can have compassion yeah. for them, and that goes so far. Yeah, I just kind of hope that we can all start to see things um, from each other's point of view, yeah. to where we can then have uh, solid conversations. Nobody thinks they're a bad person, right? Yeah, yeah. The, even the villains in movies think they're doing something good, right? Yeah. And so we have to try to understand. And I get a lot of heat for this uh, on Twitter, particularly which is a medium I try to stay off of because it is it, it does inflame me. It's like the it's like for me road rage of the internet. You know, I can yeah. read my YouTube comments. Oh, yes. And I can like sort through YouTube comments and have no reaction whatsoever. But yeah. the minute I'm on Twitter, it's like I've just stepped behind the wheel. It's the road rage of social media. <laughs> really I is. love that. That's fascinating. I, I find the opposite because I don't engage in any sort of partisan things on Twitter. Twitter is like my safe space. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't know if I've curated that because I hear way more people talking the way you do and maybe i'm just oblivious to that that side of it Um, but think about twitter though when you see twitter in the media it's not like look at this good thing that happened on twitter right it's always this like a mob yeah exactly it's always like look at this mob on twitter look at that mob on twitter coming after you because you said this but with me with me it is like uh, i i send like i sent you that video the day that little cute little girl who was singing i wonder what's inside your butthole (laughs) oh yeah that was pretty funny (laughs) it's like a little six-year-old girl is like singing the song uh during the quarantine and i'm like oh this is like i mean it's nonsensical and like but that's that's sort of what twitter is in, in a nutshell but you're right there, there is this sort of there's a road rage element to it by the way i think that's the perfect analogy because most of the time when we're driving we don't experience road rage mm. but then there are the moments and those moments really stand out that's what we remember yeah. well you just don't act that way in normal life if you're walking down the hall and somebody bumps into you you don't cuss them out right you know but on the road racist right <laughs> right, <laughs> right. But yeah, Twitter is just, you know, it's a, it's a different space. But um, And a lot of it is because you don't get much time to really elaborate and really hash things out. You know, it's very quick. And mm. um, times when I've really tried to understand extremely difficult people to understand. People mm. that, pe- some pe- many people, I think most, I feel like most people would say, there is no need to understand that person. They're just a bad person. Mm. So when you look at, like, for example, the shooters that go into places and they clearly seem to have a very racist agenda, yeah. right? And they're obviously murderers. I mean, they're crazy, clearly. Right. They're clearly, you know, I I, I would say... Obje- yeah, to call them bigoted murderers is not unfair. Right, right. <laughs> um, but I even still try to understand sure. where they're coming from and why they did what they did, yeah. even on a deeper level, because I feel like when you can understand somebody, even somebody that heinous, mm-hmm. when you could try to understand, and sometimes the conclusion will just be, they're crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, They have bad wiring in their brain, yeah. and there's no yep. explanation for the way that they are. They're very unlucky. That's yeah. the explanation, unfortunately. Yeah, that yeah. their brain just is messed up, and mm-hmm. you know they ended up being the way that they are. But sometimes the person, yeah, obviously some screws are loose, right? Like yeah, a little bit. Sure. But they, they do have reasons for what they're doing. Obviously, they took their reasons to an extreme. 
that is never okay mm-hmm. and absolutely deserves punishment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but try to understand what was their reasoning for doing what they're doing so that we can then help convert people out of that mentality. Mm. Uh, You can't convert people into your way of thinking by Mm -hmm. just calling them racist or bigot or saying, you know, you're bad, we're just gonna shut you down. Mm -hmm. And I know a lot of people when it comes to especially the really extreme groups, they just wanna shut them down, right? Mm -hmm. They just wanna silence them. And that doesn't really work. I mean, that's not going to make the problem go away. That's not going to change their mentality. They're just no. going to go somewhere else and do it behind your back. You're not going to know about it, right? It's right. worse either. Right. The way to convert people, I spent many years of my life Mormon, you know, about, oh, wow. about Mormonism. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Ryan grew up Jehovah's Witness. So. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so, and you know about then missionaries, right? Because Jehovah's yeah, Witnesses right. do the same thing. It's about con- going and knocking on doors and converting people. And Mormons mm-hmm. and Jehovah's Witnesses yeah. do that same thing. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of Mormon friends. Um, yeah, so I, I, I'm very, very familiar My with My conversion it. rate, by the way, was 0%. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Mormons do a really good job of converting people. Yeah, they do. And the way they do it is not by knocking on doors and then saying to people, you're heathens, you're living sinful lives, mm-hmm. you need to convert or you're going to hell. Mm-hmm. Right? Mormons don't do that. In fact, Mormons don't even really believe in hell. Yeah. So they just say, they, they say, you know, we have a, a message we want to share with you. We understand you have a different viewpoint, but let's sit down, let's have a conversation Mm -hmm. and they go through this series of like six discussions it's not even like a one-time thing where we sit down and if you don't agree then you're just out the door and forget it while you're you know burning hell Mm -hmm. they they say okay we're going to go through this series of conversations and they work on you slowly they don't expect to convert you overnight Mm -hmm. they're like interrogators yeah Yeah. well and it's 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 like it is this long drawn out process and a mormon if they've got their sights set on you Mm -hmm. you know a friend of yours or a neighbor of yours they will work on you for years Mm -hmm. to try to get you to convert over to Mormonism right by being kind to you by you know not criticizing you by trying to you know say oh okay you're into that that's okay but anyway Mm -hmm. I I know another way Mm -hmm. that you can live your life right Mm -hmm. yeah and so they do this process of conversion that I think um, even at you know people that are not religious at all I'm not religious anymore but it's a lesson to be learned on how to change people out of very staunch ideas Mm -hmm. to convert a person to a religion Mm -hmm. is a very difficult thing to do so if you can take some lessons from uh, Mormons mm-hmm. that are really great at converting and figure out what is their process of going through this. And we can mm-hmm. maybe convert people out of things like white nationalism mm-hmm. yeah. and really hardcore beliefs and ideologies by following that same methodology. I now, totally agree. Like that's right? how that's how you pull people to your side is like you try to find a common ground. You try to see where they're coming from. You try to show them that you understand why they have the perspective they have. And yeah, that's the only way you're ever going to like it starts to agree with someone. What's the yeah. difference between Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses? Well, yeah, so so I'm thinking about a lot of our our friends are Mormons, whether it's like Nate and Drew or mm-hmm. Randy, yes. etc. And and when I think about them and the sort of kindness and the the compassion, mm-hmm. the understanding, mm-hmm. I think maybe and correct me if I'm wrong here, that seems to be lacking if not if not in the people, at least in the approach uh, of Jehovah's oh, Witnesses. Oh, I think what Jehovah's Witnesses it's more like you know, I mean, for all intents and purposes, you're walking up to someone's doorstep and you're saying, here's what hell looks like. Do you not want to go here? Even <laughs> Jehovah's Witnesses don't believe in hell. I want to be very clear on that. But, you know, they'll be like, hey, here's what Armageddon is. Do you want to avoid this? Or they'll show you a picture of paradise and they'll be like, would you like to be part of this? And that's really the, kind of the binary 
uh, thinking that. I mean, there there is some nuance there. Don't get me wrong, but for all intents and purposes, that's that's their approach. Is would you do? You, how do you want to avoid this, or do you want to be part of this? Mm-hmm. And that is, yeah, I, it's much different than the approach you're talking about. And it's also, it, it, I think that is the biggest difference there. You you talk about binary, so mm-hmm. there is even the sort of excommunication. What is what's it called? It's called disfellowship. Disfellowship, mm-hmm. and, and so they excommunicate people from that that community far more frequently, whereas. Uh, all my Mormon friends are very accepting and they exactly. do spend time with worldly people. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and so there's this inclusive, and this is, uh, this, per, I think this maps perfectly onto what we're talking about with politics. There's an inclusive perspective and there's an exclusive perspective. Yep. And, and when it's exclusive, man, I, you get turned off really quick. That's the, the tribalism thing that we talked about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The thing you're talking about is community. By the way, when I think of a religion who has done community really well, I think of Utah better mm-hmm. than oh, any yeah. other place, mm-hmm. right? Dude, Mormons are like my favorite people to hang around because like they're <laughs> the nicest. Yes, totally. And uh, then Jehovah's Witnesses are the nicest until you go against their tribe. And then they're your least favorite people to spend time with. Well, they won't spend time with you. Right, right. <laughs> you, can't, you don't have the option to spend time with and, them. But and that's what I mean by least favorite there is like, because if you try to, they like, you know, they, they right. will, I don't know what they do, poke you with a stick or something. <laughs> yeah, they all carry sticks in their pockets. <laughs> <laughs> so we've been talking about Twitter. I want to read some mean tweets because this illustrates what we were wait, talking wait, about here. Wait, before you do this, can you paraphrase the tweet that you were trying to look up? Uh, yeah, I think the I'm not going to do a good job because okay. I, I couldn't find it, but hey uh it was a it was it said something like quote um do you want a rapist that rapes with his dick or with his fingers <laughs> choose one the election <laughs> oh my god uh, and um oh my god yeah that's terrible I, who who was that uh drew michael oh okay who has one of my favorite stand-up comedy specials yeah. of all time he's good um now um uh, we could talk about the the sort of the Me Too movement thing can can you maybe summarize the video that you created about the the, the Joe Biden thing Yeah, I mean, you know, it's just amazing that the Me Too movement obviously was born after Trump was elected, right? Mm -hmm. There was this huge, and I was was definitely a woman that felt that uh, I cried when he was elected Mm -hmm. because I felt very, I felt violated. I felt like, how could a country elect somebody who... Uh, who openly is such a misogynist against women. Yeah. Right? That's how I, I really felt that. And there's a lot of women that felt that same anger, that same, um, you know, just uh, you know, just feeling of extreme disappointment in our fellow, fellow countrymen. Yeah. And um, th- so this movement came about that was a much needed movement. I, I mean, much, much needed for women. Yeah. We just have been in our careers and throughout our lives like completely... Uh, I mean, I have story after story through my career um, of men taking advantage of, trying to take advantage of sure. me or putting mm. me in a compromising position where I felt like, oh gosh, what am I going to do? You know, what do I do? Yeah. Um, and there was there all of this good that had come about it. Now there was, I think, a lot of negative that came from me too. There was a, it went far. It went too far in a lot of cases, sure. and there wasn't really much nuance. There wasn't much gray for a lot of people. Right. But um, suddenly, you know, it's Joe Biden. And now there's gray. Yeah, it's like it was so black and white for so long. Mm -hmm. And now suddenly you've got people like Alyssa Milano, Mm -hmm. who was really the biggest, the loudest voice of the Me Too movement. Yes. Suddenly removes Me Too from her Twitter profile, Hmm. I believe. And, you know, starts to say, oh, well, okay, believe women doesn't really mean believe. It just means listen. It's like, wait a minute. So now Mm. we're just everything... Uh, These women had been saying, believe women, you know, a woman's not going to come forward with this horrendous story, knowing that it's going to completely ruin her life. 
if she's not credible, you know, if there's a level, there's got to be a level of credibility there. Sure. And suddenly when it comes to Tara Reid and Joe Biden, everything that these women were advocating for was literally undone overnight. Yeah. I mean, just listening to their interviews, Alyssa Milano wrote a uh, an op-ed and, basic, and said the same, believe women doesn't really mean, it just means listen, hear them out, but then make a decision that's mm. not well that's from what i last understood believe to mean that's not what believe means yeah i mean i, I think it, i tend to agree with that position more because there are some human beings whether they're men or women who will lie about whatever of course and, and so yeah. I, I think it probably should have meant that from the start i think what, what you're where you're creating the nuance here and i think it makes a lot of sense is to say hey you had this particular stance now all of a sudden you want something to go your way and so you're moving the goalposts uh, accordingly and it's not that you've actually changed your your beliefs necessarily you are you're doing it because it's convenient Is, for, isn't this indicative though yeah. of just the political parties because you look at you know uh the 27 allegations that our current president has and the left-wing media has blown up over these allegations the right-wing media has done nothing mm -hmm. and it's just flip-flopped like now you've got an allegation against biden the right-wing media is blowing up now all of a sudden the right wing they're for the me too movement right <laughs> when right. when they were against it when it was all about trump i mean this is just indicative i feel like of people choosing sides and when it's convenient for them exactly yeah, it's not really about the principles right it's just about yes. how do you get your team to win yeah. yeah and that has been the most um you know and like i said i was never there was a lot of cases of the me too movement that i was kind of like come on i mean it, who was it? aziz ansari yeah who, i was gonna bring that yeah, up too yeah. where that one was like okay that just sounded like a really bad date yeah right exactly um, like you you made an advance on me yeah, and like, she went well, for, no, right, yeah, and there was, was no real power play there right. that was going on. You know, it wasn't. It just really read like a bad date to it me. Sounds like he was bad at sex, and it was like yeah. then all of a sudden it it, it <laughs> sort of uh, transformed <laughs> to like uh, this allegation. But yeah. the, the problem I, I think what what Kim might be alluding to here is what the problem was. We conflated then Aziz Ansari with Harvey Weinstein. Yeah. And yeah. it's like, well, wait a minute. They're not even close to the same thing. One person's right. a disgusting monster who should be under the jail. The other person should like watch some YouTube videos about how to, to like, uh, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, and with the with the Joe Biden thing, the thing that's the most um, aggravating about it is you see what happened to Brett Kavanaugh, mm -hmm. and yeah. the the uh, the the evidence against Brett Kavanaugh was nothing in comparison to the evidence against Joe Biden. Mm. I mean, that was, you know, she was just saying, well, these are the things I remember. And it was all about what her memory was and that there was, then there was this calendar entry with like squid and whoever, right? And, and uh, that, so then people said, well, I believe her because she remembered these details. Yeah. But then when you look at the Tara Reid situation, it's, she's got her mom calling into Larry King mm -hmm. for, you know, calling into CNN. She's yeah. got an ex-husband, a court document where he l says she was sexually harassed by Joe Biden. Mm. And this was said back in the 90s when he was writing up the, you know, do, doing the court thing. Um, so there's like official documentation. There's all of this corroborating evidence. And yet all of these Democrats say, yeah, but, oh, well, mm. you know, we're just going to overlook this. And um, definitely, you know, the Me Too movement needed to make some changes anyway. I, I really was, like I said, I wasn't really fully on board 
100% with what it was doing to people. And I had even uh, people I knew personally that were ousted from their jobs mm. and shamed in a big way and their careers were nearly ruined. And it was mm. because they were like the manager of somebody who did something wrong and oh, it wasn't wow. even them yeah. that did it. Yeah. You know, they just maybe didn't do enough about it at the time. And, um, but yeah, it's just in one fail swoop, you know, the Me Too movement is gone now. Just yeah. like that. I just yeah. don't see it resurrecting after this. I don't know how it can move forward. And the worst part about it is what it what it said to women was, you can speak up. Please come forward. Tell your story. Unless. Unless they're a Democrat. Right. Oh, my God. It, which was, was a very strange thing. And this goes back to the whole the partisan side of things, because it's not a political issue, um, except that when, when we mean political, the affairs of the people. Yes. Of course, we should treat women fairly. Everyone should be treated fairly. That is the most political issue, right? And you're absolutely right, Kim. I, Ryan and I were in the corporate world. I managed 150 retail stores back in the day. Ryan did marketing for, for those stores. And and um, the thing that we saw was very much a boys club. Mm-hmm. There were, In fact, it was a white male boys club. You know right? what's sad? I didn't realize it when I was in it. No, I mean, it wasn't until it wasn't until I left. I'm like, and then started like just learning different things. I was like, oh wow, like I had no idea I was part of it when I was in it. And I I knew, <laughs> but only I knew way less than I should have. And what I mean mm-hmm. by that is like we're from Dayton, Ohio. It's 45 percent African American, right? Mm-hmm. And so so, but there were basically no black managers, right? And right. so I had to hire black managers and and female managers and and. And even then, it was still way lopsided. Mm-hmm. But like, I was literally the only regional manager at the time that had anyone who wasn't a white man who managed a store. And yeah. we're talking tons of stores, right? And like Ryan said, though, you because we didn't even talk about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you could couch it in sort of meritocracy, where it's like, well, it's the best person for the job. Yeah, who? But who's deciding that that's the yeah. best person of the job? Are you even considering what the factors are? What do you mean by best person for the job? Yeah, I'll tell you. Like, <laughs> well, Jehovah's Witnesses, like they um, perpetuate the boys' club. I don't know how it is with Mormonism. I mean, but, it's very patriarchal. Yeah. yeah. So with, uh, I mean, it's they're pr- they're really good with different um, like races and things like that. But when it comes to women having a say in Jehovah in the congregation or what, they have very little say. So uh, it's interesting how I think that's it's for me it's spilled over into the corporate world mm. because that's how I was raised and that's what I was and I was Jehovah's Witness in the corporate world a lot of those years. Well, and that's what these movements don't really take into consideration is the change of culture through time. You know, we don't we, we go back and we read tweets or, or articles or things that somebody did or hear stories from something somebody did 20 years ago or 30 years ago or however long it was. Mm-hmm. And we don't take into consideration what the environment of the culture was at that time. Yeah. We want to then... Uh, blame them and punish them using the standards of today mm-hmm. without looking at the standards of yesterday. And it's the same thing like with parents, for example. You know, back when I was a kid, it was really common for kids to get the belt. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They would be belted. Oh. Or my dad, when he was in school, the teachers could take the paddle to him. Yeah. Right? And nowadays, of course, that's absolutely unacceptable. You, you can't belt your kids yeah. as a parent, and you certainly as a teacher can't take a paddle to the students, right? Right. right? So could you imagine if we went back and we said, now we're going to go and prosecute all of our parents for child abuse because they took a belt to us? Yeah. You know, we don't take into consideration the standards and how we, how we change and how we evolve, and we learn 
uh, we evolve as a species, mm-hmm. you know, we become more enlightened yeah. and we're, yeah. we're looking back even, you know, I see these movements about um, Christopher Columbus, right? And they're like wanting to get rid of Columbus Day yeah. and wanting to change history and wanting to take down all these statues. And it's like, you know, this was pre-enlightenment. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. These people existed before all of the, you know, all of these changes that have happened and we're, and we're judging them and calling them horrendous, horrible human beings yeah. without taking into consideration the, what was acceptable at the time. The environment right. they and, lived and, and in. And I think it's a great analogy. Even, even the nuances now, like when uh, we lived in Montana, the speed limit's what, 90 miles an hour or something Currently? ridiculous? Currently? Yeah. I think it's 80. It used okay. to be no limit yet, though. Right. Yeah. Uh, okay, so... so no limit records. No limit records. Um, <laughs> so uh, let's say it's, it's eighty miles an hour, right? Yeah. But now let's say that next year they make it seventy miles an hour. Do we go back and say, Ryan, you were driving eighty miles an hour last year on the <laughs> right. highway? We're, we're going to give you we're, speeding tickets. We're right. a, a retroactive speeding ticket. Yeah. And that's what, what what we're talking about with all of these. Although I will I I will contest one thing is with the statues. I agree with tearing them all down because I don't want to idolize anyone. I think it's silly to have like a bronze statue of. Christopher Columbus on any public land. If you want to have your know, Robert E. Lee in your house or whatever, a cardboard cutout of Robert E. Lee, go you, ahead and do it. You you are admitting on this podcast that you want to tear down the statue of John Stockton. <laughs> no, I said on public land. Oh, oh okay. Private. Li- I'll take the John Stockton statue and put it in my bedroom. Okay, fair. Um, do you enjoy going to Europe? Uh, no, I don't like travel. I love Europe. I love going to Europe. Oh, you know, because going to Europe, this is one of those things when people are talking about tearing down all the statues and taking down these monuments. It's like, yeah. well, the whole joy of going to Europe is going around and seeing the all, architecture. Right, and, and, and the know, statues the and the yeah. monuments. I mean, could you imagine if they took down the Champs-Élysées? Yeah. Because they said, well, that was a monument to Napoleon. Mm-hmm. So we got to tear that sucker down. That's that's fair. I think that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. Um, Although, but what about like the what about like so this because in the South they got all the Confederate statues so you you totally agree with like keeping those up as as a uh, representation of history well you know I guess like and I don't and you don't have to answer that question really because I'm not trying to set you up here <laughs> but 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 it is but it is interesting because it's it's hard to draw the line right and it's right. and it's hard to find the the yeah to, to discuss the nuances can't just go to a private museum though that's a yeah that's a good idea too like you don't have to tear them down I'm as much as like destroy them because the history shouldn't be forgotten no. we should absolutely remember what happened and like understand and know who was in charge and who the people were and but yeah so how do you do that in a way that isn't oppressive or is it even oppressive now i don't know right. the answer to that. i guess it really depends on what it is maybe if it is just like a bronze statue of the person to kind of honor them in the middle of a park yeah that might be something that you might want to take down but um you know like you go throughout italy you're going to see a lot of stuff from mussolini yeah i mean the guy did a lot yeah 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 that's true but it, yeah i don't know it's i have trouble i, I yeah I, I have a lot of trouble with just any of that i mean i think of like the most extreme examples even from childhood uh, like I remember I, I grew up in a predominantly black neighborhood and the, and I think this is 88 the Ku Klux Klan came through mm. and like had like a cross burning rally thing. Mm-hmm. Like, and it was like, you know, this one, I guess the Klan still had some people in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't imagine like them leaving behind a bronze statue of like some grand wizard or something. And this right. is a parodic mm-hmm. exa- exaggeration yeah. of an example, but you could feel that way about you know sort of Robert Lee statue or whatever, and and while I wouldn't want to say you know get rid of that thing, you, I think you're entitled to have it in your your home or private collection or whatever. It probably yeah. shouldn't be at the the basketball court that I'm playing Maybe basketball. Maybe it depends at. Right. on what the who the like what the person represented 
who they were and what they what they stood for specifically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if they just happened, you know, people talk about George Washington, who I think he owned slaves. Is yeah. that right? Yeah, yeah he did. Yeah. So okay, but did George Washington really stand for slavery? Was that what he was advocating for? Maybe right. he owned slaves, but was that like his talking point of slavery is great and this is what we need in this country? And yeah. no, George Washington was the founder of the country. You know, the, the one of the founding fathers and was really uh, advocating for the beginning of a new country. It wasn't about slavery. Because he had slaves, does that then mean, okay, now we're going to attribute that to him? Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. But if it was a grand wizard mm-hmm. and that's what they stood for, mm-hmm. and then you got a statue of that guy, right. and that person specifically was advocating for slavery, that this was our way of life and we need to keep this going, yeah. and that's what they stood for and what they gave speeches on, mm-hmm. I could see the argument there of, sure. then that's what that person represents, that's what that statue represents. And then, that's what we have to tear down. Yeah. We had Andrew Schultz sense. on the podcast. He's a comedian. And he had this little throwaway line that has stuck with me ever since. Ryan and I will sometimes talk about it in private. But, like, it is and it isn't. And and, and what he meant by that was, like, yes, uh, George Washington uh, was both a horrible human being for owning other people. I, like, to me, that that's... There's no question that's a terrible thing to do, but also he was a great human being for a whole bunch of other reasons, right? It both is and isn't, um, and and I think we it, this is this bleeds into all of our politics as well, our, our partisan politics, where it's like what well, it has to be binary. It either is or isn't, but sometimes it is and it isn't. Uh, sometimes I yeah, what there's a line in our new um, in our new book that's coming out that. Um, yeah, I feel like we're all this sort of mix of contradictions. Like, mm-hmm. we're, I'm one half Buddha, one half Pornhub, right? And, <laughs> and, 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 and like, it is and it isn't, right? right. Like, I, I, I aspire for one thing, but also enjoy the other thing. And it's like, I'm an amalgamation of, of all of these things. And, yeah. and, and we want infallibility, though, especially right, from right. leadership. Yeah. You're going to be disappointed every time. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this. So in a hundred years, let's say the culture of society changes so much that porn, for example, uh-huh. is something that is considered abhorrent. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Like nobody looks at that anymore in a hundred years. Okay. It's just disgusting mm-hmm. to people. So are they, is it fair for them then to look back at our culture today and to point at the two of you, let's say, mm-hmm. who I would imagine sure. you've seen porn sure. yes. and then say to you and then say about you, mm-hmm. well, these were bad men. Because they look because at what they, they porn, yeah. yeah, they were they enjoyed that they liked watching this. That makes them bad. We need to burn their books. Mm. I think I think of there's a more. I mean, this is Sam Harris's argument. Though he wrote a whole book on it called the Moral Landscape, and I, I think there are sort of peaks and valleys in a moral landscape. I think that would actually be a regression if we were to say that yeah, that would be almost like uh, theocratic in a way, right? To to say, well, you're not allowed to watch porn anymore. It's a, it's mm. an awful thing or, or or whatever. Like to to me, we're we're progressing in the other direction where we want to obviously avoid exploitation of people um but you know now there's we're all coming to an understanding that like uh it's it's not the it's not the taboo and by the way virtually everyone has seen it at this point i mean you you can make that argument but i could definitely make the argument in the other way that sure. it is absolutely i could see both sides of it yeah that it, it is that and it, it isn't would be, <laughs> that it is something that is degrading mm-hmm. and um you know i'm not i mean i you know i'm not anti-porn by any means but i can definitely see in a hundred years from now mm-hmm. where people would look back and say that was degrading and it was it's and, degrading and it ruined families yeah. right right and it was just an overall bad thing yeah um, we have this kind of attitude in this society 
really since like Hugh Hefner of uh, sort of bringing uh, an idea of what sexual freedom is Mm -hmm. that is actually not congruent with what other countries in the world who did not have Hugh Hefner, Mm -hmm. what they believe sexual freedom was. You know, if European sexual freedom is very different than American sexual freedom, American sexual freedom really did bring women down. It was Mm -hmm. really about, okay, you just need to be a playboy bunny. Mm. And that wasn't existing in Europe. Yeah. Sexual freedom was very different. It was about um, exploring yourself and and even their porn until the internet was very different. If you look at European porn compared to American porn, hmm. um, it's almost artistic versus like degrading uh, and graphic. demeaning yeah. and right. And women are are treated like objects, like just absolute toys uh-huh. in a, mm. in the American versions versus the European versions was was uh, really what I would consider much more actual sexual freedom. Uh-huh. And, you know, they're so sexually free over there that they show porn on television. Yeah. Right. When I was living in France and uh, when I was 20 years old and turned on the television, you know, this was 20 years ago, and I was turning on, I turned on the TV and I, regular network television on a Saturday night wow. had porn. Wow. And that's, I think, you mentioned this earlier, the pendulum often swings the other way. So so, so when the pendulum swings so far, because we're a very puritanical society. Right. And so for us, and this is where people often confuse minimalism. They think, well, these guys are a couple of hoarders, and so they had to get rid of everything, and they had to denounce <laughs> everything. It's just like when when um, the the pornographer turns into the priest or the priest turns into the pornographer. It's it's switching. Uh, the, the pendulum swings all the way over. And, and what you're talking about here is, well, no, the, the middle ground is like, hey, we can explore ourselves as human beings and our relationships with others, and, and sometimes that involves doing so in a sexual way, but not in a way that is that is you know, the the Playboy Bunny penthouse sort of thing the objectification way and it's also not pure uh, puritanical where it's like you know, please cover up your ankles they're they're right. they're uh, terrifying me there is I a can't way control to do myself it. exactly yeah. there's a way to do it to where it's not demeaning and I just think that in a hundred years uh-huh. people might look back at our society and they there's two things that stick out to me that you know because I, I always think when we judge like Christopher Columbus I think well what are they going to judge us on yeah because right. we keep looking back in his and saying everybody's a bad person a great we're going to, to be one of those people yes. at some point what's it going to be and there's two things that stand out to me I do think pornography mm-hmm. eventually as um, as society views women differently I do think pornography will that porn will look very different in the future and they will look at ours as demeaning mm-hmm. and also uh, another thing that stands out to me is dog ownership oh wow the way we stick collars on dogs yeah. and mm. walk them on leashes totally I just think in a hundred years or 200 years yeah. when we when maybe society allows them to run a little bit more free because uh-huh. you know it used to be when you look at even our grandparents era and how they treated dogs mm. versus uh-huh. how we treat dogs when you think a hundred years from now uh-huh. how are they going to treat dogs and they're going to look back at us and say wow they were really mean to their pets man yeah they, they didn't cook they fed them food out of the bag yeah. they put a collar around their neck and walked them on a leash <laughs> you could take that a step further and say people will judge us for eating meat in general that right exactly i mean just yeah. the treatment yeah. of animals in general I, that's that's the slaughterhouses other, yeah exactly yeah. they might look back and be like oh the factory farming. Josh yep. and Ryan ate factory farmed meat. Yes. So if you're listening to this 100 years from now, burn our books. <laughs> <laughs> I did have a few uh, mean tweets. I wanted to just read a couple of them. I won't get to all of them here because we do have some questions as well. But I figured we could, we could at least talk about a few. This one was from John Legend. 
and uh, it was just an example. So this I initially grabbed these when you were first going to come on. It was in the middle of the the Democratic primaries where every, everyone mm. was still, you know, they were trying to figure out. I think there were six or seven main candidates left, everyone from sort of Tulsi and, and Elizabeth Warren to Bernie Sanders and, and Buttigieg and Amy Klobuchar, et cetera. Uh, anyway, uh, John Legend tweeted this on January 14th, 2020. So this is was a different world back then, January wow. before COVID. January fourteenth. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. January fourteenth. Remember 14th. that world? What yeah. Was that like? Those remember were the we days. used to hug? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he said. Uh, so this is a tweet. He just retweeted something from Elizabeth Warren, and he said, "I'll be voting for Elizabeth Warren in the California Democratic primary." That's all he said. And then, Uh-oh. of course, <laughs> four thousand comments. Oh my god! On this one tweet, four thousand comments, and then eventually he just responded and said. Some of you Bernie supporters do quite the disservice to your candidate. <laughs> so he's being very um, uh, diplomatic. Yes. Mm-hmm. He said, to your candidate, who seems to be a great human being, try not to drive people away with your nastiness. Mm-hmm. I will happily vote for him if he wins the primary. Chill. Mm-hmm. And to me, I love the way he handled that because you can, and we'll put a link to this one in the, the show notes, you can check out some of the the kind comments he got, but there was this sort of thing, and I, I don't, I, I never understood it because I saw, I saw what B- Bernie stood for, and while I don't agree with him on a whole lot of things, what I did appreciate about him is that he had this um, integrity that I don't see in a lot of of candidates, and there was something about that I, I really, I really respected, even if I didn't respect all of his his policies, and the thing I didn't respect at all was like, even when we had Pete Buttigieg on the show, we even said, Hey, this is not a, an endorsement. Ryan and I typically vote for different people. So we probably aren't both going to vote for even this guy. Right. Um, and by the way, we also invite anyone else on and uh, Tulsi and Yang had both confirmed and they dropped out. And so like, it was just like, okay, this, uh, I'm happy to have Donald Trump on the podcast if, if he's willing to come on and talk. Yeah, we're interested in a meaningful conversation. Yes. <laughs> in fact, we didn't even talk to Pete really about politics. We talked about leadership and uh, lessons he learned from from running a city for, for eight years. And and the thing that I saw, though, as soon as we had him on, it was like a bunch of like what we would call Bernie bros, I guess. Uh, you know, you know this guy's, you know, whatever. I mean, and some of them were really nasty, calling him a faggot and all these other things. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, okay, wow. Bernie bros? Call, that's really... Yeah, I don't think Using that the F word? Right. That's, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, yeah. I mean, have you... There are some podcasts out there with... Uh, who, who's the really big one? Chapo Trap... Uh, Chapo, Chapo Trap Tra- House. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're... they're semi-homophobic you think so yeah i think so yeah. i don't ever listen to him so i don't know yeah, yeah. And, and so yeah, i don't know either but it's hard for me to believe i think that's more of an exception than the rule but i hear you i do think it's an exception but it's a very loud exception that's what i'm trying to point out here well that's with any loud fake outrage on twitter i i, I agree with you but tulsi supporters didn't come to us and say how why did you have him on the show and uh Biden supporters didn't come to us, and Klobuchar supporters didn't come to us, and Booker supporters didn't come to us and, and say, how dare you, whatever. It was this one very small group of people, and I, I don't understand that. how do you know that? that? How do you know for yeah, sure they I were Bernie supporters? That's the same question. I mean, because they were, they, 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 they were like, said they were. So, so they said, so, I'm a Bernie supporter, I'm a Bernie, and let me trash you. Right. <laughs> Hashtag Bernie supporter. Right. No, but you go to their profile, and it... And it they are often talking about pro Bernie things. Did you look at every single negative comment and see who they were supporting? Every I, single one, no. But right, I looked so, a lot of them. Right. So okay. So I guess what what Kim and I are trying to say is uh-huh. that to say that every that nobody from Tulsi 
or nobody from Biden. That's correct. Or nobody I, I'm, I'm from, saying, to, to say that no one did, it's just not. I, I'm saying no. I'm I'm saying that, I, I, and I can say it unequivocally. No one that I saw who commented was from any of those camps. Mm-hmm. Now, had they been from there, I wouldn't have been that surprised. I'm just saying I was actually more surprised that so, it wasn't. Yeah. So no one that you saw. I, I, okay, I understand what you're right, saying. Right, and I saw a lot of people. But I think this is for every candidate, to be honest with you. I think sure. it's just each, each. Um, you know, if, if you look at Bernie comments mm-hmm. um, under Bernie supporters, you're going to find a lot of hate as well coming from Warren supporters oh, or yeah. coming from Biden supporters or Klobuchar supporters. Yeah. You know, the hate wasn't. Uh, I think that what happened with Bernie was that that the the coined term Bernie bros really started to take hold mm-hmm. and people started to just kind of categorize any sort of political hate they saw online as Bernie bros. Right. When in reality, I could tell you as somebody who was more of a Bernie bro mm-hmm. that uh, the hate was coming from the other side as well. Sure. I mean, there was there's definitely just uh, vitriol attitudes when it just comes to politics in general. That was the biggest thing I saw between, say, like him and and Trump is I think a lot of the people who support either one of them, in fact, majority of people, everyone I know in person who was like a a Bernie supporter, Mm -hmm. um, like we had even we had um, someone from his campaign on here, um, Ramesh, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, Srinivasan. And uh, he wrote a book about uh, uh, called Beyond the Valley, and it's about you know sort of foundational systemic change, um, starting with the sort of with our technology. But um, he embodied, and you are someone who embodies like being able to listen to other perspectives and having compassion. And the the problem is maybe there was a vocal three percent or two percent that I don't know for whatever reason wanted to burn the whole thing down no pun intended, and you saw the same thing in the 2016 election where there were people who supported Trump who wanted to burn the whole thing down. But it doesn't mean your average Trump supporter, I don't think your average Trump supporter was that either. And I think that's what I'm trying to point out is there is this, you know, if you look at an end zone, you look at a football field, there are two end zones, and there are allowed people in the right end zone and the left end zone, mm-hmm. but most of us are like sort of here on the field. Mm-hmm. Totally. And But and, in that end zone, though, is all different supporters. Right. It's not just the Trump supporters on one side and just the Bernie supporters on the other side. It is in that end zone. There are every single representative of uh, of any political candidate. I'm just saying it's disproportionately Bernie and Trump. Well, I would say now, you know, as somebody who's not going to vote for either, most likely, mm-hmm. um, I get hated on a lot uh-huh. by the Biden camp mm. for sure. Yeah. They come after me hard yeah. when I say, I "Look, I'm not voting for. I'm definitely not voting for Joe Biden." So when I say that and they say, well, then you know what you're doing. You're letting Trump win. You're, uh, you know, how dare you? You're, mm-hmm. they, they call, they'll call a lot of names. And, sure. you know, it, it gets pretty, it gets, um, people get pretty crazy. Yeah. And that, especially those of us who've come out who are very independent, who will not vote for Joe Biden under any circumstances whatsoever. I will not jo- vote for Joe Biden. I have very personal reasons why I won't vote for him. Yeah. Um, you know, he was very against the Vietnamese refugees and my family's Vietnamese and, mm. you know, no Vietnamese refugee will vote for him mm. because he, he voted against allowing the Vietnamese to come to the United States. Mm. Um, and so, you know, there's a lot of us that won't do it. And when we say that, then there's a lot of hate that's directed at us. I do think yeah. it's coming from everywhere. I just think that the coined term Bernie bros was just yeah. so easy yes. to adopt and run with. I totally agree. Yeah, yeah. Well, although, I mean, I think at first it was not a pejorative. At first it was like, 
and this was maybe even back in 2015 or whatever. Like at first it was like, Hey, there are some people who really support him. It was, it was like this sort of good thing. But then of course that, that can get sort of bastardized and, 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 and reappropriated as, as a pejorative. And, and yeah, I think it makes sense that, um, well, especially since we live in California. So like, if we're being frank here, your vote or my vote doesn't, doesn't matter, matter right? anyway, right. right? We're not in any. Sort <laughs> Although of it's interesting, state. like it is starting to be a little bit different, though. Here, yeah, because that that special election that's coming up, it's like the first first possible time that they're predicting that a conservative is going to take that seat. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I mean I, with respect to the uh, presidential election, mm-hmm. but you're absolutely right. And so maybe this is a good pivot here where we could talk about where it does matter a lot more is voting in in your local community right not only does your vote count way way more Mm. but it does impact your life significantly more than what's going on three thousand miles away in in washington dc as we're seeing right now with the pandemic right oh yeah uh you know everybody was saying oh trump says he's going to open the government trump says he's going to shut down the government (laughs) Mm -hmm. and i'd hear these arguments over and over and think do you not realize we live in a federation governors make these decisions it's not up to the federal government Mm -hmm. it's up to each individual state Mm -hmm. and so here we are now and we're seeing the various different reactions that the states have had to the pandemic uh some of them didn't close down at all some of them like here in california closed down right away it was like the first state to close down Mm -hmm. some went really what i think overboard like in Michigan, Governor Whitmer, you know, she didn't even let people buy paint at Home Depot. Yeah, it was yeah. a weird thing. It was very, uh, it was almost too nuanced. I mean, sometimes you do need to take uh, an axe to something when when there is a real emergency, and it felt like there was like you can go to Home Depot, but here you are the seventeen <laughs> things you can buy. Yeah, yeah. It was very you can't strange. buy things that are non-essential. You can only buy the the essential <laughs> things at Home Depot. So you're gonna go in the store and you can't just walk over ten feet into that section. I didn't realize or you're gonna it was get COVID. Like Oh my yeah. God. Well, I heard they, they accidentally um, miscategorized baby seats as furniture. So you weren't allowed to buy furniture. Right. But you couldn't buy ba- uh, car seats because it was it was instead of like essential item, it was considered non-essential. Oh and so my God, it people was so who, crazy. Yeah. It was yeah. so crazy too because she wouldn't even let people buy like televisions. And it, because she says, well, that's not an essential item. Well, how do you know? If my television burns out, how am I going to watch the news? Right. Isn't that essential? Yeah. Uh-huh. Wouldn't that be... Con- what if my couch breaks? Isn't yeah. that... Esen- or my bed? Isn't yeah. it essential I buy that? Yeah. Right. Right. This brings up a good point where... Like I see, like I'll see on Twitter where people start bashing the government for 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 doing one or the other, and you're absolutely right. Like it's not up to the Fed. You can't just say the United States is doing it poorly. You have to look at each individual state yeah. and see how they're doing. Yeah, the some states are doing it poorly. Some states are doing it well. Right, yeah. and the federal government was really only in control of our international borders. All Trump could control were the flights coming in, mm-hmm. the actual borders. Mm-hmm. That's what he's in charge of. Mm-hmm. Other than that, it's a matter of, you know, of course the federal government can encourage and uh, use the War Powers Act to get companies to manufacture a bunch of equipment. You know, there's definitely things that he could have done on a national level, but as far as our lives, mm-hmm. what we can and cannot do, that has everything to do with our local government. Mm-hmm. And this hopefully, I think, will wake people up to the fact that who you vote for on the local level will yes. matter way more. I mean, even just look at the states. To, you know, when uh, when you look at something like Roe v. Wade, okay? Mm-hmm. So people are very worried about, you know, uh, Ruth passing away yes. and another and a conservative a justice, yeah. right, getting in there and potentially Roe v. Wade would be undone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what people don't realize is what that would do, that doesn't all of a sudden make abortion illegal and now women can't get what they want. 
uh, it, all it does is it just puts the power back to the states. Mm-hmm. So then mm. it just becomes a state by state issue. It's no longer a federal re- regulated issue. It's you vote for it on your local level. Nothing for women will change in California. Mm-hmm. That's what Ro- if, if Roe v. Wade was undone, nothing would change here. Hmm. Women in Alabama probably going to have some change there yes. unless they decide to mobilize and vote in yeah. a way that changes their local government. Right, but it's kind of like that now with the states. I feel like because there's like uh, well, not, not not with Roe v. Wade in particular. Well, no, I'm talking about though. Uh, is it Alabama or Kentucky? It's one of the southern states that literally has one uh, one Planned Parenting office. Yeah, at this yeah point. you're right. Even even places like Texas and stuff are are, are having some issues there. Do you do you? Yeah, what they do is they basically just create other laws to try to bypass Roe v. Wade. Right. So I guess what I'm saying is Roe v. Wade on a state level doesn't matter today, regardless of if it gets overturned in the future. Yeah, it's difficult in in, in in certain states. Well, they can't fully... Well, what happens in those situations like in Texas or in Alabama is that when they're trying to basically make it extremely difficult, then people can take that case to court and say, you are infringing on my right because of Roe v. Wade. I see. So then you have they to... They can use it as leverage. Right, okay. right. Yeah. So if Roe v. Wade was undone, then there are certainly going to be states that are not going to have abortion. There, yeah, those, there will they'll, be. They'll make abortion illegal. Right, yeah. right. Gotcha. I yeah. see what you're saying. Those We're, women can go to neighboring states yeah. and get the services they need. And I guarantee there will be plenty of organizations that will help them in order to get, you know, to, to yeah. transport them, put them up in hotels, whatever they need to do. Yeah. It obviously makes life much more difficult um, for women that, you know, decide that that's the choice that they want to make. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, though, nonetheless, it doesn't suddenly undo Mm-hmm. You know, if you're living in the state of California, you're nothing here is going to change. The same thing. Gay marriage is a great example of this as well. We had certain states that allowed it before it was uh, decided on by the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. Certain states had gay marriage and others didn't. So it was a state by state issue until the federal government said, OK, no, now it needs to be more of a federal cohesive. And with marriage, that that's uh, particularly important because if you're moving from one state to the next, you need to have your marriage you know, still be valid. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, something like abortion, though I am a big pro-choice person, I can understand, you know, I I, I, I could un- feasibly understand why that might be a state-by-state issue rather than a federal issue, sure. whereas gay marriage to me must be a federal issue. Yeah, right. It, it, this is the thing where, it, with, with something like abortion, where it is and it isn't. I mean, there's a whole Louis C.K. joke about, it, you know, it is the woman's right, but it's also uh, the death of a baby sort of thing, and he handles it masterfully. Even though Louis C.K. is, I was going to say, is that even appropriate to bring up? I Lu- mean, Louis C.K. Yeah, I, well, <laughs> we, we could even talk about it. So Louis C.K. is not Harvey Weinstein, right? Right. Um, right. Yeah. But he's also not Aziz Ansari. Right. Right. He, he's somewhere in between on the spectrum of 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 the the sort of Me Too movement, mm. and. Um, but uh, again, this doesn't. Uh, ooh, this is a, so. The, the, I'm not going to tear his statue. Uh, I would tear his statue down from a public space, right? Uh, but you but, tear anybody's statue down from a public space. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Except John Stockton. I think he should o- be the only statue in public spaces. <laughs> anyway, um, uh, I was going somewhere with that, and I, I've, I've derailed. It's okay. We, we've got a, uh, some surprise questions here. I figure we could get into. You realize keeping John Stockton's statue is a total like there. There's there's some kind of patriarch joke there, like. <laughs> Because well, so? he's this white dude who oh, yeah. <laughs> you would statue you would keep anyway. <laughs> Six foot tall white dude right. who's really good at basketball. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, uh, we got some questions here. Let's talk about uh, Will's question, Ryan. 
can you apply minimalism to politics? We kind of talked about that a little bit. We did. I, I just wanted to uh, talk about the sort of minimalist presidency. What what would that look like? Um, I don't know whether or not you're a fan of Calvin Coolidge, um, but I do. I'm a big fan of his values. Whether or not he executed well on them, I actually think he probably didn't in his second term because one of his kids died. Um, anyway, we have this essay on our website. Someone asked us about being this the, a minimalist president. I just wanted to read a few quotes from Calvin Coolidge. So, so if Will, your question is about um, could there be a, a minimalist president? Well, I think the answer is yeah, probably. But um, we need. I think. Well, I mean, we don't need to do this right now. But I think that question needs to define what minimalist president is. Because when we asked that question on the shorter uh, podcast, you were like, oh, that means less government. Or when I hear that question, I think, oh, more intentional spending with the government, mm -hmm. where someone else might think communism, which we have been compared to communists in different articles before. <laughs> so, so Calvin Coolidge <laughs> was the uh, uh, 30th president of the United States uh, during the, the roaring 20s. Um, he followed a very corrupt president, uh, Harding, who is, I think, a distant cousin of podcast Sean, actually. Uh, <laughs> Warren G. Harding. Should we hold that against Sean Harding? <laughs> yes. <laughs> we should tear, tear his statue down. Yeah, we're going to tear his statue down, Harding. <laughs> All right, so during the 67 months of uh, Calvin Coolidge's presidency, the national debt, the federal government, the federal budget, unemployment, and consumer prices shrank, and the GDP expanded significantly, um, which led Coolidge's biographer to call Silent Howe a rare kind of hero, a minimalist president, an economic general of budgeting. And so um, I said, but perhaps the best way to understand Coolidge's minimalist ways is through his own words. So here's his quote on contribution. No person was ever honored for what he received. Honor has been the reward for what he gave. Mm. And so, I mean, that's a uh, contribution is uh, is something that you know, Ryan and I often talk about yeah. when we talk about giving it, that's so much more if I gave Ryan something he it's not like well, hey Ryan let's celebrate what you what you received it, mm -hmm. it doesn't work that way it's about how are we able to contribute beyond ourselves in a meaningful way uh, on spending he said there is no dignity quite so impressive and no independence quite so important as living within your means I can't even imagine most politicians even saying that now it almost takes kooks to say live within your means yeah um, you're anti-capitalist, <laughs> <laughs> right? Uh, or you're you're uh, or you're you know you're an anarchist or whatever. Yeah. Um, but why is I don't know, Kim? Why is living within the government does, because they have the ability to print money? They don't even have means, right? <laughs> they don't produce. Well, money. it depends. It seems like they they do put that on some people. You know, they'll say, "Well, you want some handouts? Well, you need to live within your means. You know, mm. we're not going to give you anything, but we got to go give these other people a bunch of trillions of dollars." Right. Yeah. Uh, but you know, to to go back to a minimalist um, government. One, what came to mind for me was the Labour Party in England. So they just, in the UK, they just had their elections and, you know, Boris Johnson mm -hmm. and uh, the Tories ended up winning. But one of the criticisms that people had against the Labour Party was that when you looked at their booklet of what they were proposing, it was like pages upon pages upon pages of policies. Mm. I mean, they just needed to whittle it down mm, to yeah. just a few main policies that you care about. Simplify. And I, right, simplify mm. it. And I think what's happened in both the Democrat and the Republican parties, and one thing that um, the problem that we're seeing is that people feel like they have to agree with everything on the platform 
right, in order to be this XYZ. So it's sort of the purity test, right, where you have to agree 100%. And the problem is, is that they've expanded, each of these parties have expanded beyond just fiscal policy or governmental policy. They include all these moral policies Mm -hmm. and all of, you know, all of these various different policies Mm -hmm. that are now encompassed in. And it's like, you know, it's very difficult to have a nuanced perspective, even if you do agree with somebody you know, for me, I say I, I can support a candidate if I agree with them. 85 percent mm. is what I like. Yeah. Ideally, if, if I don't agree with somebody, anybody, 85 percent, then I have to obviously keep going down the percentage. Right. right. Sure. But 85 percent. At some point, you know, you've identified I'm not going to vote for either. Right. Right. Because I just don't agree with either of them enough to the, where. Yeah. This so, is why we need more than two parties, though. This is, this a, is really why. Yeah. Be, because otherwise totally the boxes are too big and you're not going to agree with 85% of just about anyone if you have, if it's Coke versus Pepsi or right now, you know, swamp water versus toilet water or whatever it is. Right. It's like, well, which one would I rather drink? <laughs> well, uh, and also, No, I just won't. <laughs> right. right. And when you have platforms that are so large and you feel obligated to agree with, you know, it's easier for me to agree with 85% of somebody's platform if their platform has, let's say, five items. Right. Right. Mm. But if their platform has 50 items, suddenly I have to go through all those 50 and figure out what percentage of these do I agree with. Right. So if we just focused our politics on things that were actually really meaningful, that government can actually control, Mm -hmm. then though and things that we want government to control, Mm -hmm. then we could, you know, that is where I think we would have like trying to dwindle down. And I think that's what we really need to do. We really need to dwindle down all of these huge platforms that they just include way too much. Yeah. And then you end up like the Labor Party in the UK where it was like page upon page. I mean, just ridiculous yeah. policy after ridiculous and, policy. And that's why it's so difficult. I know, Ryan, we were voting in the last uh, election on all the local issues, and we talk about local being so important. I, I had to spend, my wife and I spent like an entire day going through what's this judge and this yeah, judge. Yeah. And, 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 be, and finding information on people is difficult. Right. Like right. some of the candidates, it's like you... Like it was a note to self. Like if I ever, ru- which I never would, but if I ever ran for public office, you could go to what are Ryan Nicodemus's political values dot mm-hmm. com. Where like some people, like they they're buried. It's even hard to figure out what their yeah. what their viewpoints are, what their positions are. I, I went and looked for a YouTube video of of a person, yep. and then I would look for like their website, and and then I try to find a, a third party whether it was like the la times or something mm-hmm. else mm-hmm. and man it becomes so difficult by the way we had a question from caroline here she said uh we've lost interest in our local one. oh wait no, that's not it um oh here we go from bailey uh what other resources other than the news would you recommend to help us understand what's happening in local state and federal pol- politics and and i mean i'm obviously going to recommend kim's show as, as mm-hmm. one resource i like to have a couple just trusted resources where people I respect them and their in their opinions even though we will occasionally have different beliefs and and do you have any places that you go regularly you know people ask me that a lot because for my show I do so much research mm-hmm. uh, to put the segments together and I don't really have any set places that I go at, at all it looks uh, to me when I look at your channel you look at all of them I try to look at everything, but I go beyond that. I typically try to avoid the news altogether because they're giving me a slant or a bias. I mean, I can read the news just to kind of get a general gist of what's going on, but then I ignore them and I try to Mm. find the source of the information Mm. for myself. So if it's a scientific study, like right now with the pandemic, a lot of it is 
the research that's being published, research mm -hmm. that's being put out there by the epidemiologists, by the virologists. So I just go directly to the source and read those myself mm -hmm. to find out what is really going on. Now, most people don't have that kind of time in their day. Yeah, you know? and that, isn't that unfortunate? It's like to be informed, it takes so much work. So much. And it's so much easier to be like, nope, Fox News or nope, CNN or nope, yeah. MSNBC. That's my Bible. I'm going to just read those headlines and know what's going on <laughs> in the world. I mean, it's it's unfortunate, but like that's the human condition. And we look for the easy way out. We look for the, yeah, for the simple solution. And that's, it can hurt us a lot because it does take time. It does. Yeah. Sheila says, can you please talk about climate change? No other issue matters if there's no earth. Now, here, here's here's the, the funny thing about this question. We had several questions that you could replace that word climate change with something else <laughs> where, where it's like no issue matters except healthcare, right. And, right. Uh, or no issue matters except getting rid of Donald Trump. And mm -hmm. so uh, that, that question came in in several different ways. So maybe let's talk about that. Maybe we'll end with talking about climate change and healthcare. I mean, I do think these are, are two things that are important. I'm not a one issue voter and I, I get kind of skeptical of people who are who, who are so strongly one-issue voters that they're willing to sacrifice their values in order to get that one thing sort of pushed through? That's that's me. It's interesting because of the of, of of the craziness in the, all of the different topics. It's like I have to look at, okay, what, what do I value the most? Because there are a list of things that I value, but I got to look at my top two things and be like, right. okay, who supports those top two things? But to your point, Josh, I do sacrifice a lot doing that. Right. I guess the question then becomes, Kim, uh, to, to what extent, right? Because it's like, well, I agree with Jeffrey Dahmer on climate change and healthcare, so I, I have to vote for him. Obviously, that's not, not going to work. But there's somewhere we're always going to have to compromise, right? But mm -hmm. at what level? How do you make these decisions? Yeah, that's really, really difficult. And that's the problem that we're that many people are having right now with Joe Biden. Yeah. Right. Is they're feeling like, well, okay, I'm just gonna have to overlook the fact that he has this sexual assault allegation against him mm -hmm. because I agree with him on all of these other things that are that are too important to me yeah. to sacrifice. Um, you know Who'd you vote for, Jeffrey Dahmer or Joe Biden? I'm just kidding. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Oh man. The title you of this just... episode is Kim Iverson votes for Jeffrey Dahmer. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Because I said I'd never vote for Joe Biden, right. so I guess that means that a vote for a no vote for Joe is a vote for Dahmer. Right. <laughs> Tweet that podcast. Right. Oh my god! I regret being here. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I interrupted you. You were making a really good point about how we do have to sacrifice, and yeah, I guess how do we how do we pick out the sacrifices that we should make? How do you pick those that are out? worth it? Yeah. Oh gosh, that's like that. You know, it's just so difficult to. Um, so, uh, we, yeah, you just have to prioritize your biggest issues, and then you have to say what is gonna, what is the most likely to get me to that end goal. Because unfortunately, if you want to agree with a politician one hundred percent of the time, you need to run for office. Mm, so that's a great, you could tweet that. Podcast. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. <laughs> So you're going to have to uh, compromise if you're not willing to run, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so you can't just say, okay, I have to have this perfect person. Um, they're going to disappoint you. That's that's what politicians do. Yeah. But I would say, you know, definitely look at, the, you know, I, I think it's fair enough for people if they want to be one issue voters. I think it's fair enough if they really, really, really care about that one issue mm -hmm. and that one person represents it and they want to throw everything else out. And, and they want to overlook. I think that's fair enough. I mean, a vote is such a personal thing. You get to vote however you want. 
and for whatever reason you want. Yeah. So if you just want to vote for somebody just because you don't like the other person, which we know right now a lot of people are going to do that. They just don't like Trump, so they're going to vote for Biden. They mm-hmm. don't even know what Biden stands for or what yeah. Biden's done in his past or whether or not Biden's truly worse or better than Trump. Yeah. Um, they just know they don't like Trump. Yeah. You know, I think it's fair enough. Like, however you want to vote, I say vote however you want. Yeah. <clears throat> I. It feels icky to think, let's say climate change. Or just the environment in general. Let's not even let's leave climate change out of it. Just the environment, environmental issues, because it's so much more than CO two in the air. Um, in fact, I would argue that the most important issues have nothing to do with the CO two in the air. But anyway, that's another conversation. But let's say it's let's let's say it's the environment, and uh, there's a president who they are all about the environment, but they have a sexual assault allegation against them. Then I've got to decide. Well, what's more important to me, the environment, or Supporting someone who has a sexual assault allegation, yeah, and that and that's what well, like you're saying though, Kim, it comes down to the individual, and like we've got to be, and that's a tough choice to make. Just like with you, uh, you said you're not going to vote for Biden. The thing that you brought up was he voted against bringing the Vietnamese refugees in. Yeah, there's a million reasons why I won't vote for him. That's just one of many. Yeah, right. <laughs> but but the point being is is like yeah, uh, a vote for Biden is not a vote for Trump. And uh, uh, Biden does support environmental issues, but there are so many other things that compromise uh, that his morality is compromised that you're not willing to support. And and that's I'm, I'm not articulating that well. But my point is, is like just to Kim's point, like we do need to be able to make that decision for ourselves. And what are we willing to compromise? And that's different for everyone. Yeah, I, I think that's that's the appropriate question is what am I willing to compromise? And yeah. also realizing that it's not a binary thing. We are often given these binary choices. I have to vote for Biden or Trump or, or Bush or Gore or whatever it is, right? But the only reason that doesn't change is because we keep falling into the I'm going to vote for blah, 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 or this right. person. It, it, by the way, it's, isn't it weird, Ryan, how I've heard this a lot recently. Mm-hmm. If you uh, if you don't vote for Biden, it's a vote for Trump. And it's like, well, no, no a vote for Trump is a vote for right. Trump. Yeah. And, and, and how come I don't hear it the other way around where it's like uh, well, you're not willing to vote for Trump? Well, that's you're just voting for Biden then. No one's saying that. Yeah. I think it's because, <laughs> I mean, it's a it's, talking point. That's why it it's is like a talking a media point. Talking point. My anecdotal or like my own personal perspective on this uh-huh. is that there are more people who like Trump and that are going to support Trump mm-hmm. than people who like Biden. So uh, I could see why that is the narrative. It is a good talking point, but I could see why that mentality will take over because I, a lot of people are going to vote for Trump. I, I think it's the election. opposite, actually. I think it's more people. I mean, I, I probably agree with you that in, in terms of fervent support, he has more than Biden does. Yeah. And and, and fervent uh, vitriol, hatred, whatever, he has more of that as well. Yes. So people, they're either really attracted to it's like some sort of magnet thing where mm-hmm. one a positive charge attracts one one side and completely repels the other side. Yeah. And well, they're both they're both voting on morality. Mm. Um, you're just not hearing it from the right in the same way you're hearing it from the left. So oh. the left will say a vote for, you know, if you're not going to vote for Biden, then you're voting for Trump, right? Mm-hmm. So they'll say that because in their mind, the immoral aspect is Trump himself is the immoral person, the oh. immoral entity, right? Yeah. A right winger, however, won't, it doesn't really look at it that way. They would say instead, um, if you're not going to vote for Trump, then you're voting for baby killing, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So they change the, uh, it's not yeah. about, mm-hmm. oh, a vote not for Trump is a vote for Biden. It's a vote not for Trump is a vote for murder. Yeah, yeah. I see what you're saying. Yeah. So it's wow. it's what do they value? You know, what is that? What are they 
holding up as the moral problem. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's fascinating because we we project things onto it, right? We we it, it all ultimately comes down to the narrative we tell ourselves. I mean, that's one narrative that is created. Well, I have to vote. I really hate this guy, but I don't want to vote for murder, so right. I'll vote for. The, I said, well, that's a narrative you're you're creating. You're not actually voting for murder if you vote for either one of these people. And so, what what you need to figure out in your own life is what is the appropriate thing for me based on my own values, mm-hmm. and, and then. Does one of these people, and I say one of these, not one of these two people, one of these people who are running for president, does it make sense for me to to vote for that person? Yeah. God, that sucks. Yeah. No, because I'm stuck with, (laughs) well, to the uh, Drew Michael tweet. Yeah. yeah, (laughs) I mean, that's. Well, but that's the thing, right? And I think there are third parties now. There are, yeah, but. but yeah, I I don't know if Justin Mosh is officially running. Is he? I don't know. But, but you then, know that like the third party is a it's a uh, it just splits the vote. It splits the vote, but also it's like uh, it's a symbolic vote, right? But right. it doesn't have to be. That's my point. And so mm. that that was the case once upon a time. You, you talked about um, Lincoln, where there were four parties, but e- even prior to or before that, um, there there were. Uh, the Republican Party wasn't a party for a long time, and the Democrat mm-hmm. Party wasn't a party until they were, right? Mm-hmm. The Whigs were a party, and then eventually they weren't a party. Yeah. And we may even be at a shift like that right now. I mean, you're seeing the whole Republican Party has changed pretty significantly. And by the way, if one of these parties, the Green Party, Libertarian Party, or the two prime examples, if they were to get 5% of the vote, which I think last time around, Gary Johnson came got pretty close, 3%. Mm-hmm. And, and so... If they got 5%, now they're eligible for what? Public funding. Yeah. And then I think if they get 15% in polls, then they're eligible for the debates. That changes everything. Right. Yeah. Imagine if you had a sensible person from the Green Party and a sensible person from the Libertarian Party on stage with these two guys. Mm-hmm. Mm. All of a sudden, you would have, you'd feel like, oh, wow, I have some different choices. Yeah. I think and, Jesse Ventura is thinking of running on the Green ticket. Okay. That's what he's talking about. Oh, interesting. Former Minnesota governor yeah. and pro wrestler. Right. right. <laughs> Jesse the yeah. Mind Ventura. Isn't he the, is he the conspiracy theory dude? Or I, am I thinking of somebody else? I don't know. Okay. He might be. Maybe, but maybe he would take he would he would take a chunk from both sides, actually. I think yeah. so. Yeah. Okay. He would get a lot of the Trump supporters and he would also get a lot of the Bernie Sanders people. It's interesting because like the Green Party, I considered voting for the Green Party last time because I, for me it was the environment. Yeah. But they were anti vaxxers. Mm. And I'm not a pro-vaxxer, but I'm also not an anti-vaxxer. I'm anti-some vaccines and pro-other vaccines. Right, I'm an educated vaxxer. Right, right. Right. Well, I think that's a good place to wrap it up. Kim, thank you so much. I want to encourage folks to check out your YouTube show. We'll put a link to it in the show notes. Really appreciate you being here. Thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun. Awesome. Glad you liked it. All right, y'all. Love people, use things. We'll see you next time. See ya. Thanks. The Minimalists.